From Calvary Church of Santa Ana, this is the Calvary Life Podcast, the show where we share stories, laugh together, and have discussions about faith, life, and God with people from Calvary Church. Here are your hosts, Eric and Matt. Welcome to the Calvary Life Podcast. This is Eric Wickling here, and Matt Doan is not able to be here today. So we have a special guest with us on the podcast, and that is Christian Hemmerling. How are you doing, Christian? Doing well. I'm excited to be in this room. I know. You've never been in here before, our little baby podcast studio. This church is full of fun little secrets. It is. <laughs> <That's> not bad. <laughs> but it's probably true. But yeah, there are sorts of like weird rooms. We're upstairs. It's upstairs in the worship center. It has windows looking into the worship center. And it's a room that has is filled with like crazy old like recording gear from back like 30 years ago. So when they super old, yeah, now anything 30 and over. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny. Archaic. I know, huh? It is <laughs> it's totally archaic. But now I think you just like push a button on our downstairs soundboard and it does everything that this room does. That's you know? crazy. And so it's kind of wild. But anyway, that's where we are. And Christian, if you guys, um, listeners don't know, Christian is our newest sort of uh well has a new position here at calvary he's been our high school associate pastor and is now moving into the high school pastor role so that's kind of wild right yeah it's an exciting step i didn't expect (laughs) this to happen now um but yeah i'm a couple years into being here and Mm -hmm. feel feel ready for it even though it was unexpected yeah you took courtney out right it was some sort of a kind of i mean it was like a I murder didn't. plot or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I took her out. Had someone no, hit her no, kneecaps. No. Um, yeah. Yeah, so she's moved in just a different role than, um, or like working for a local nonprofit. And so like that's, it's always interesting because it's weird when there's like moments, you know, where you are, where someone else is like moving on and then like you're partially like sad about that, but then you're partially excited about what you're doing. You know, and so I know you're kind of in the middle of something like that right now. Yeah, that's yeah. a good way of putting it. I have really loved the past two years, our team, even having Brian, our worship resident mm-hmm. on that team, and was enjoying where I was, looking to expand my hours a, li- a little bit into different parts of the church. Mm-hmm. But but even really feeling like what I really wanted was more, um, more of a role with high school or more time that I could invest with our high school ministry. And then she told me she was moving on to something new and... I was sad because I really loved our team, but like you said, yeah. excited about what the Lord could have for me in this role. Yeah, that's cool. So, okay, we want to do a deep dive into your life. Uh, we're going to really um, just like pour into some of your woundedness in your past. <laughs> <laughs> There's plenty. There's plenty to no, go around. Of course there is, but no, no, we, uh, we just want to get to know you a little bit. You have like a pretty like interesting like story with some of your life of just like where you've lived like you are are you are you even an american citizen um <laughs> am i is that like is this an hr issue as of two years ago i am but yeah i was born oh, in okay. toronto yeah my my parents moved to toronto right after they got married had my brothers and i there i have three brothers and then oh because they were from america no, no, no. Oh, they were they were from Vancouver. They were from Vancouver. Okay, yes. okay, okay, okay. The only other relevant city in Canada, <laughs> and, <laughs> which is where my family's from. So yes, I agree. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so they they met there and then moved to Toronto. We well, I lived there for seven years. I think they were there for eight years. And then uh, when I was seven, my dad 
came into my room or my, my brother in my room and sat us down and said, I had big news. <laughs> we're we're going to move and we're going to move to China. And we were like, oh, cool. And then he left and was talking to my mom and he's like, that went very well. I thought it'd be, you know, somewhat upsetting. Like we got a lot of good friends around here and stuff. And then a couple of weeks later, there's people walking through our house who we don't know. And we ask our parents, what are these strangers doing? And they're like, yeah. well, we're, they're looking to buy our house. And we're like, why? We're selling our house. Why are we selling our house? Oh, and no. they said, we're moving. And we're like, you are serious? <laughs> like, he, you thought they were joking? Th- I just... mean, who moves to China? Yeah, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> yeah, so that's wild. So what city in China did you move to then? Shanghai. Shanghai. Okay. Yeah, and the intention was a lot of foreigners, you move there, you live there for about three years and then move back to wherever home is. Yeah. And that was originally the plan, but things were going well for us there. And um, I really loved living there. We ended up staying for seven years. So wow. I did all of elementary and middle school there. And then there was just a desire to be closer to the rest of our family back in a place with a less transient community with yeah. a lot of people coming in and out. And then we did, then we moved to San Francisco because, okay. you know, pretty close to Vancouver. And there were just certain places my dad's company had offices. So, oh, yeah, sure. yeah, I moved to San Francisco. Absolutely did not want to go. I was. Oh, you were into China. Oh, I was into China. Okay. Yeah. I loved it. I mean, it was home. And I think a big thing is just the relationships I had. True. Really close friendships. I was lucky that my closest friends were there the entire time I was, which wasn't you, the case for a lot of let people. Let me ask you a quick question here. Quick yeah, question. yeah, yeah, So were you in a, like, kind of like a community of people from, like, what, the West? Like, or, like you know, from people from North America? Yeah. Or, so my... Well, th- or how'd that work? We lived in something called a compound, which is like a gated suburb in the middle of the city. And okay. there's a lot of those that mostly foreigners used to live in. Now, a lot of Chinese people have be, have gained some wealth and, and they are living in those kind of communities. But yeah. yeah, so, I mean, all over Europe, all over, I mean, probably some Australians, New Zealand, Americans, like a lot of people from the, I mean, that's not all in the West of the world, but no, no, those true, kind of places. And then my school was an international school. So we... We had people really from all over the world and okay. a lot of, you, you just needed a non-Chinese passport to attend, I think. Okay. So we even had some people from Hong Kong, Taiwan, um, yeah. a lot from Southeast Asia, all, all over Europe. It was really cool to be at a school with so much representation from around the world. Yeah. When we moved to the States, my brother came home from school um, and he was like, mom, when we lived in China, you ask someone where they're from, they tell you what country they're from. Here... They tell you the street they live on. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, it was cool to be in an environment like that. Was was that international school, like English, the common language? Yeah. I knew you take Chinese okay. for an hour a day, just like you take Spanish in school or something like that okay, here. Okay, wow. Yeah. So you okay, you only lived in Canada for seven years, but your parents were Canadian. So because I feel like your primary accent is Canadian still. Yeah. Now, now it's a, it's slightly faded. It just comes right. out on the special. I say sorry words. or about sorry or something. And about, yeah, and mostly it's not. Right, right. But do you think that's because your parents were Canadian more, and so they had that in the you were in that in the home? Probably, probably right. the case. I and then whenever we'd go back to Canada, my brothers and I would just lay on a, a thick Canadian accent just because it's funny. <laughs> um, just talking to each other and yeah. oh yeah, sorry about that, eh? And uh, <laughs> but. 
I I assume so. I mean, when I moved to California, I used to say we'd say pop for soda. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then I kind of wanted to stick to that to the bit. I'm like, you're not going to change me. It's pop. And then it just got annoying when people were like, what are you talking about? And like, because that's how they sound. So that's even like I just a Midwest East to, Coast thing. I yeah, think, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. But I just there are certain ways I just you mm-hmm. just adapt to use the words right. that people use around you. Right. But you still just go for the sorry in a boot. It just feels better. Yeah, I like sorry. I sorry. I say it because it's how my parents said it. You know. Yeah, yeah. And there's just a little people will just be like, "What? Yeah. What was that?" <laughs> and then when you're when you're a foreigner, people give you the benefit of the doubt. So <laughs> they just treat you a little nicer or something. Yeah, yeah. It's just funny because doubt is another one, you know. That's true. Doubt. <laughs> doubt. 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 <laughs> There's no A in the word, is there? <laughs> out. It's uh, funny. I like that. Okay. So other than just accents, like, okay. So like, do you, as someone that's lived in your formative years in three different countries, mm-hmm. how, like what, how does that affect? Because like, I always, I just think like, I'm an American. I've always lived in America. You know, I don't know. How does that affect like who you feel like you are or does that is your understanding or the way you live that out sort of different maybe than someone like me right with my life experience yeah i always have identified as canadian yeah and i mean so in canada you're canadian go to china everyone there still has this marker of their home country right and i i wasn't chinese you know true I'm still Canadian Shocker. and then I moved to the states yeah and <laughs> I I think there's still some well I mean I, I didn't feel American I was like I am from Canada so still Canadian yeah but I know I became a lot more Californian and probably some of my I don't know some of my way of speaking or my my interests or like the the pop culture I know and stuff and I'm not like I don't I like hockey but I don't Mm-hmm. Love hockey. I've tried yeah. to like it more, um, but <laughs> but then even recently, for years, I just had a green card, and then a couple of years ago, I became American okay. and felt some of this proud to be an American. This yeah, yeah, yeah. rising, and we you, you are an immigrant. Yeah, yeah, right. Not like, not what we typically assume as an immigrant story, but right, absolutely. Yeah. And so even now, I feel before. I mean, I'd still root for Canada over the states in the Olympics oh, and stuff. Okay, but, okay, interesting. But I, I was love in this, it or leave it. Get yeah. out, man! <laughs> I was in this swearing-in ceremony in Oakland, and there's people from over a hundred com- countries represented, and they were all really. It meant a lot to, that they could hmm. become American, and it gives hmm. you a lot of access and benefits that you wouldn't have otherwise. Yeah, and I mean, I think about it like Paul and in Rome that the citizenship can can grant certain benefits. Right. Um, so. But I remember in that swearing ceremony, I was like, I, they're watching, playing this video about immigration throughout the years and what that's mm. meant, and I was, I was moved, and I was like, mm. this is this is a part of me. But it it doesn't. I still would say I'm Canadian. It feels weird to say I'm an American. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. Um. You. I was going to say about that. Like. Um. Like. I, I think about how, so like my parents were, my parents immigrated from Canada yeah. as well. So I'm a first generation American then is what you would, you know, mm-hmm, you would call mm-hmm. me. And it's interesting because we're both, we're both, we're both white males, right? Yep. Like, and I'm, I'm middle-aged, you're a little younger. Yeah. <laughs> I won't put you in the middle-aged category yet. <laughs> <laughs> Are you appreciative of that? Or I mean, know? it's just accurate. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's true. It's very true. But, um. 
Yeah, it's just like it's not like you said, it's not like maybe what people think of as like the immigrant story. And yeah. and yeah, obviously like different socioeconomics that some might be coming from. But yeah, yeah. but it's still like a culture change and a culture mm-hmm. shift in a new place. Uh, it's not as extreme as maybe someone that was born in China coming from China to the Bay Area. Right, you know? right. But um, but it's still like a, I think it's it's an in- interesting, like unique part of how like God has shaped your story. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I think it I mean, the, the term is being a third culture kid that you're raised in a culture that doesn't belong to your parents. I think that's how they define yeah, it. But yeah. that I I don't really feel entirely Canadian and mm-hmm. I know it's part of who I am. I don't entirely feel American and I know even Chinese culture for me and, but I'm not Chinese. So you don't feel this full sense of belonging in in any place, but I think it gives you the ability to relate to a lot of different types of people, to be adaptive, flexible. Mm -hmm. And I honestly, when I'm in an international environment, I've I've been in a few of those, particularly in in school in various ways. Mm -hmm. And then I just feel a little bit, Oh, this feels like home. Right. Even though it's, not anyone's home in particular. Yeah, we were recently in the Istanbul airport on the way oh, home. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, on the way, which is, I think, I, I tend to call like the most multi sort of cultural place in the world at some yeah. level. You know, it's pretty wild. But uh, yeah, you're just like, hey, no big deal, right? Like, <laughs> right, right. That feels normal. That's yeah. what feels normal. And, and then I, I don't think I realize how maybe foreign just being in a homogenous place is until mm. I step back into something like that because well, I've been in the States for a long time now. Um, but then I'm like, Oh, this feels, yeah, this feels homey to me. What, what parts of like, especially what, what parts of Chinese culture do you feel like you retain? Cause it's a very foreign culture for many of us. I yeah. think at some, at, at some level, cause it's far away, unique language has some level of like opposition to us even, you know, like, hmm. um, so it's just an intriguing, you know, region of the world. I think I remember, especially in high school that some of my classmates had much more casual relationships with their teachers. So with authorities yeah, that felt odd to me, cause I think there's a somewhat stronger place depending on where you are in a hierarchy and how yeah. to treat elders a lot of respect for all of the authorities above me. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like you've lost most of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, see, Just that's because I'm adapting to your your culture. Um, you know, respect is, respect is earned. So, oh boy, here we go. <laughs> I love it. Uh, I don't. I just remember I dated a Chinese American girl in college, and I was had spent a decent amount of time with her parents, and they said I was more Chinese than her. I don't oh, know what they meant by that. I don't know. I don't entirely know, but I was. I could. I could see it. I mean, she she was American and yeah. felt that way. I don't know. I'm not as loud as some people. Is mm, that maybe? Do you, do you like kind of slide into that though too when you'd hang out with their family a little easier? Maybe in some way like that we wouldn't like you just. I don't know. I don't know. I, it's always like hard talking about some of this kind of stuff too. Um, yeah, because it's just hard to put your finger on exactly yeah. what is different, even though you can feel like it is mm-hmm. without going into stereotypes too. Right? Oh That's yeah, the hard yeah, part. yeah, right. Um, I think there's maybe American culture can be a bit combative and there's or, or overt and there's more, I don't know, maybe it's subtlety. Yeah. Well, Canadians that way too. Right. Yeah. Yep. Yep. That definitely comes up and you know, someone steps on your foot on the bus and you apologize (laughs) and, and here it's, 
I mean, it, it's also yeah, like there's plenty of nice Americans, but right. but stuff like that I notice comes out right. And America's a big place, and so is Canada, and so is China. <laughs> like, but I know a lot of times, right, you know, right, right. We even say like Midwest people or that kind of kindness that yeah. might be more Canadian, right? That that hospitality that might verge into that, right, <laughs> right, right. Know? I don't know, um, but anyway, it's just kind of interesting. Uh, yeah, and the big thing I, I I think is just in my stories that it's led to certain ways of feeling left out or mm. or the need to adapt to fit in somewhere mm, and that's true. um really i felt that really strongly in high school but but then i think that's given me the gift of being comfortable relating to many different types of people mm-hmm. and also just forced me to grow in some ways that i wouldn't have had to if i mm. never moved if i was with the same people yeah. forever and there's some hurt that's come with that but i definitely have see i definitely see how god's used it to push me out of my shell and give me some maybe soft skills that I wouldn't have had otherwise that I like to use in ministry. Yeah, especially with like with, with high school students who always feel yeah. that way at some level, right? Where feel like they're always adapting, always struggle. Like even if they're in their own place, they've lived their whole life. They're, it's just from class to class, social group to social group, and you're feeling you know, even just going to a new church mm-hmm, for a mm-hmm, high school student mm-hmm. is terrifying. Yep, and trying to enter into that social circle. You know, I've talked to kids where they're like. I don't even want to go. I've been to this church my whole life, but I don't want to go today because these three people won't be there. You know, right, like right, right, <laughs> right. That kind of thing. And so, I don't know. I just think you have a different maybe understanding or, or way of relating to them. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, mm-hmm. So it's kind of cool. Just the way that God has prepared you to connect with, with different young people. Yeah. And, yeah. and things that I wouldn't have expected coming into play, but they have. Yeah, exactly. What was high school like for you? So you were in Bay area. Yeah. And what went, was what kind of stuff were you into? Like, what was that like? Went to a small high school in Lafayette and played sports, but was not good at them because um, <laughs> it, it was small. So you could just join the varsity baseball team because okay. they needed people. <laughs> and I eventually got OK. And but our team was never OK. I don't know. So I was right, OK compared to right. the team. But I really love being on teams, doing sports, um, played basketball too all four years. And then I also got really into tech theater. And we just run sound lights and do backstage stuff, building the sets. We had we had pretty awesome plays, a really good theater department that was pretty invested in. Okay, and that was super fun. And started a Bible study in my high school when I was a junior. After God showed me that He's important, kind of. Mm. Is that um, when your was that kind of your faith becoming your own moment there, or what was? Yeah, that? yeah. I I mean, I grew up going to church and everything, and even part of the reason we moved was that my parents saw that there wasn't a great youth faith development type ministry yeah. at the church we went to. We really didn't like going to church that much and wanted to go to a place that did that well. And the church we started going to did youth ministry really well. So I got a little more involved, but then the catalyst was when I spent a summer working at a Christian summer camp in Canada I'd, I'd grown up going there, but I hadn't worked there yet. My dad was like, you're not going to play video games all summer. We, mm-hmm. <laughs> you're going to do something useful. So, but that is where I really started to get to know the Lord for myself and came home from that with a, with a desire to pursue him and also to help other people know him. And uh, yeah, one friend of mine who was also really committed to 
following God even even before that became a serious thing for me. We started a Bible study together at mm. our high school. Yeah, it was cool. That's really cool. That's awesome. So you were getting serious about your faith at that point. Yeah. So yeah. It was, yeah, that was. I worked there summer after my sophomore year of high school, and. Huh. That's interesting. Like a high schooler wor- working at a summer camp, right? Like that's not. Yeah. Well, okay. I mean, typical. I wasn't getting paid. I think I was probably paying a little bit of money. <laughs> okay, I was gotcha. doing work. I, I don't know. But yeah. Well, you're, what was I? I was a slug, a servant leader under God or something oh, like that. Oh, nice. So what do you do? You <laughs> like, exactly. you. That should be your nickname from now on. Everybody. Call, yeah, call his name slug. Now slug. Uh, you're like cleaning the tables right. in the cafeteria and raking the playground. But then you're also in the cabins with these students and mm. going around to their different game stations and all that. And I really I felt a lot of love from the, the rest of the staff and a lot of purpose in what we were offering to these kids and, and just some really intimate moments in worship and stuff, but also was given space to pursue God by myself mm. and... I think that was really what was catalytic for me hmm. in that experience. That's awesome. That's awesome. And so then after high school, you go to college on the East Coast. Where'd you go to college? Skidmore College in Saratoga Springs, New York. Okay. What's that like? Is that, obviously that's not in the city. That's like upstate New York. Yeah, it's thing? three hours north of the city. Okay. 45 minutes north of Albany. Oh, okay. Wow. Real far. It's the place I think that wealthy New Yorkers would go for the summer to get away from the city and to watch the horse racing. Oh, okay. So there's a, a track there and yeah, the population of this, the town, I think doubles or triples in the summers. Interesting. And you see the people wearing their pink pinstripe suits and the big hats and all that. <laughs> um, but it, it's really, it's a cute town, but it, it's not like there was a ton to do, especially it was a small, smaller liberal arts school. So it, I think, I think like 2,500 students. Okay, wow, yeah. And I thought it'd be cool because I came from a smaller high school and you get to know people well, get to know your professors well. And that's true. But when you visit the college, it's in the spring and it's beautiful (laughs) and nice. And then I remember the first Halloween I was there and it started snowing. And I'm like, this is October. (laughs) And then it's just like six months of gray and cold and you can't do things outside. And the, the weather would affect me significantly. Okay. Yeah. So Toronto, your memories of Toronto had completely left you. Yeah, just you know, throwing <laughs> snowballs at recess and yeah, that yeah, no, it's just like slushy and brown a lot of the time. Yeah, because that's probably pretty close to Toronto, actually, right? Yeah, not too far. Yeah, couple, yeah, it's like three hours, three hours south of Montreal. Okay. Um, yeah, drove up there once, but it yeah, it was a mixed bag, I'd say. I you know shopped around, studying different things, ended up getting a degree in economics. The whole time was really involved in our university chapter and okay. in volunteering at because that's a the secular school, attending. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah secular yeah, liberal yeah, arts school. Yeah, um, it was a little tough because there's a small population of Christians, and it's not like every Christian has the ability to be your best friend necessarily. Just because sure. you know, there's certain people that you really click with, and others, your brothers in Christ. Um, <laughs> and so I think that was that got difficult, and being mm. in as in leadership kind of from the get-go because I I just was like hey I want to come and make a difference but then started to feel like I always had to be an example and then couldn't be known and that ended up not being a healthy thing Mm. so I definitely yeah I look back on it and think oh I know that God 
develop me a lot while I was there, and I went through some difficult times. Um, and there's also some some great things and stuff, but it's certainly I mostly think of it as growth through through I don't want to say failure, but through like through difficulty, through yeah, challenge. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Okay, so economics. Mm-hmm. When was there a sense of a call to ministry for you? Because most people don't have a call to ministry and sign up for an econ degree. Program. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I well, always had this tension where I was like, I like serving at my church. And even, you know, when I got home from that summer, I, I was like, I want to do the Bible study thing. I'll, I'll volunteer with our middle school ministry. And then from the get-go in college, I, I was like, I want to be involved in ministry, but I don't know if that has to be mm. my job. Okay. And I liked math, liked the sciences for the most part, thought it was cool in economics that you could model things that people do mathematically. And the, the, the thought was that I would use it in a development setting. So you do development economics or like microfinance, give small loans to people, they help lift them mm-hmm. out of pro- poverty. So how do I leverage this? this, uh, I don't know, left brain mathematical part of myself for good in the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, but a little bit, I think, if I'm honest with myself, felt like I was pushing myself along, not really sure what I should do, but hmm. but also there's some sense of, oh, this can get you a good job. Mm-hmm. Towards the end of my time there, I got pretty depressed, not because I was studying economics, which is... Affectionately known as the dismal science. Yeah, though. Yeah, but, that uh, sounds like what would happen to me. But yeah. <laughs> maybe partially. But I was just—I think it just forced me to take a sober look at myself and mm. and say, what is it that makes me feel alive, and where do I feel the Lord's gifted me, and and just what am I drawn to? Mm-hmm. And I just looked back, and I was like, all of this stuff that I gravitate to naturally is seeing God change people's lives, uh, trying to understand things more philosophically or theologically mm-hmm. and doing mentorship type things. And never am I doing things economic related outside of my classes. Sure. In fact, <laughs> I don't even think like thinking about money. It's not that interesting. You know? Yeah. So, so I just felt like I'm different than some of my classmates. Where is my heart? And then was also just at that point doing some, some seeking in my own faith, trying to understand God better, understand this difficult period I've gone through better, mm. and then went on to go to Regent College for a one-year program at the seminary in yeah. Vancouver, and which is like an amazing place, has like amazing so professors cool. and stuff. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's amazing, and really does a good job of fostering a community, mm. and that's also something I very much needed. Yeah. There's this relation relational component that I've been neglecting. There was an emotional health component of my life. I was neglecting. And then there also was some sort of intellectual yeah. understanding that I was hoping to get. But so I thought I'll go there because I've had this interest in ministry. It can help with that. And also I need to figure out some things regarding my relationship with God re- regarding my own life. Cause I'm not in a healthy spot. And yeah. So I, I went there still, and thinking I might do ministry. And then after that kind of hopped around in different things that, so I was teaching for a year at a school for kids with uh, various learning disabilities and needs. And like, once again, I'm developing people, working with kids, encouraging them, seeing them grow, but then was volunteering at church and loving specifically that I get to talk about Jesus with them. Hmm. And then from there kind of moved 
continued moving more towards ministry. Right, right. That's cool. Yeah. Do you think it's just to pause on the like the college part, like too the economics thing? Like, I was wondering if that left brain side of you, because that's I, I would say that's another thing that for most youth pastors is relatively unique, right? To have hmm. that more left brain mathematical side, even though I don't, because I never would have thought that of you. Like, if I had to guess. So I'm not saying you come across like some like nerd or something. I mean, I do wear glasses, so <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I can hold eye contact sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> but, <laughs> that's super funny. Um, but no, but just like I don't know. I think that's like intriguing because I think like the sort of the bad rap on like a lot of youth pastors is like all hyper extroverts that are mm -hmm. pure, maybe probably pure humanities like side of the academic type. You know, or even mm -hmm. in the performer side, performer achiever side, you know. Yeah. And so then, um, I don't know. I just wonder if that's even like an extra bit of relatability to a different student than than some people can have. Yeah. You know? Well, I'd imagine. I'd imagine so. I mean, I even think about some some pastors who are really influential for me and their ability to step into this logical philosophical space. Even though, if you yeah. can't, my hope was to understand how everything in the world fits together, which, mm. you know, I'm still, still going after, but, sure. but I just think, yeah, to be able to speak to students who have questions like that, or just, or just want to know, does God make sense? I guess. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. there's some things there are great answers for, and there's some things that maybe we're still searching, mm -hmm. but yeah, I haven't actually thought about that, no, but, no, just... but as a, as a, as a demographic that yeah, I might connect too well, but yeah, because I think if I had to peg you into a field of college study, I would think more like philosophy or something is probably what I yeah. would have thought just by like my interactions with you and the way you think and talk and come across. Like I would have thought a little bit more in that realm or yeah. something, which I don't know, maybe if you could start over, you would do something like that or theology or something. But mm -hmm. um, uh, maybe not. Maybe you'd, maybe you'd do I don't think I'd do it. Language. I mean, the irony <laughs> is that, you know, I got this degree that I thought would be useful for earning money at some level. And then yeah. I think I've made, I don't know, a couple thousand dollars at an internship off of this thing. So <laughs> that's, it was a, it was a poor economic calculation, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I took, I took philosophy, really loved it, but also just felt like I was questioning the reality of everything. And maybe that wasn't great for me. Oh yeah. Also there's like the, the trope of, you know, is that, is that good for getting a job or anything? Right. right um, right. and is it something you could pursue independently? Also, Took a bit of psychology and then ended up almost going back to become a therapist mm -hmm. at in the past few years. But once again, just feel called into this space of ministry, even though therapy allows you to do some other cool things. Mm -hmm. But yeah, really interested in how people work and interested in the inner life, interested in ideas, conceptual. But maybe there was a part of me that just felt like that's not practical enough mm -hmm. and I need to do something that I have the ability to do, even if it's not something mm -hmm. I love to do. And undergrad college is like, even though you like most people can never like actually admit it, but it sort of doesn't matter what you study at some level in life. Yeah, at some I, level, right. I, unless if you, you're, yeah, specific. Yeah. If you're like, I am like, I studied accounting and I can do accounting or I studied right. nursing and I can be a nurse. Right. Most, most degrees aren't that way. Right. But do you think even that people, I mean, people are like, Oh, why are you in this? world if you had an economic background and it maybe just it makes people see me in a different way mm -hmm. they're not just oh yeah you're you like the humanities and yeah and, and do ministry but yeah yeah you because like yeah you want to yeah. play games 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I know. I know. I was like your, <laughs> just, I was your classic youth pastor that went and did like a Christian ministry degree. Nice. So yeah, <laughs> I was just doing that with a Bible minor at Biola. Yeah. But um, yeah, just like. Worked out well? Yeah, worked out all right. Worked out all right. And, uh, but I mean, I was a political science major my freshman year because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's before I had like a sense of a call into ministry. I was wanting to do something in that realm of politics as a staffer, probably yeah. more like a. Well, more like a backroom staffer kind of person, not like necessarily a run for office person is okay. is how I saw myself. I don't know how that would have shifted because mm-hmm. I think my personality type tends to want to achieve. But um, but like anyway, it's just that was kind of interesting, especially because now I feel like it's like the last thing I would want. I like I'm in, I'm not I'm like almost opposite of that. I'm super not interested in that realm. Huh. Um, and like to the point that people get frustrated with me, I think even as the pastor of the church, because I'm not interested enough <laughs> in that. But I also think there's like a healthy separation with some of that with church, church life. But you know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. but yeah, I think I can definitely see a few things that, that I think God saved me from that I think I wanted, but, I, mm-hmm. but he knew me better. Yeah. I don't know how, but, um, <laughs> okay. I didn't know you did political science for a little bit. Yep. Who'd, who'd you vote for? <laughs> <laughs> in 1993 or 1992 i mean sure yeah, sure sure, sure. <laughs> yeah uh, ross perot no just kidding <laughs> i don't even do you know, know who that, that is? is yeah nope he was like 93 this, he is was, that what you said uh yeah 90 so it would have been that's then, when i was born oh no <laughs> my freshman year in college was like 90 so i turned 18 in 92 um and so i would have voted in the 92 election in the fall that was like bush um Right. So anyway, Bush senior. No. Wow. Anyway, <laughs> I voted for the first time in this past presidential election cycle. Yeah. Like the first time in my life, you know, because oh, I've wow. never voted in Canada. Oh yeah. And hadn't been a citizen. So. Oh yeah. Gosh, that's true. That's crazy. It's kind of fun reading through, especially I liked all the local politics stuff. I just yeah. felt like it. I, I could. It felt very relevant to me. Right. And, right. And maybe like you feel you feel like your vote counts a little more. Who'd you vote for for water district manager or whatever? You know, those are the ones I think yeah. are funny. You're just like, how am I supposed to know who's going to be? <laughs> right. Right. And I. And that's the other thing. Like, Why you, is this? You can say official? you can say this is what you're going to do. I have no idea if you know how to do it. I don't <laughs> yeah. know what this person really needs to be good at their job, but but here I am. I'm going to vote. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. There you go. That's America. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, funny. Okay. So, wow. That's amazing. So then you finally come to SoCal. Yeah. And for school and friends. Yeah. Or I don't want to sum it up too much for you. But, I, yeah. so I had been working in the Bay area for a while and at this church that I went to in high school. So then yeah. I started working there and was just trying to discern next steps and was, was actually getting ready to go to grad school for psychology. I was got into a PsyD program and moved down here with my roommate. He went to Biola. I moved down here with the intention of going to Rosemead Mm -hmm. and becoming a psychologist. And I've been wrestling a lot with that. And I think it has a lot, that world has a lot of things that I'm interested in and and skills that I'd like to develop. And that we do in ministry. And that we do. Yeah. Yeah. So I was just like, well, you can just formalize them in, in a, in a way that you wouldn't get if you didn't do a PsyD. Right. And, but was really wrestling with the Lord and just felt like I was supposed to be going towards ministry that my heart was really towards doing ministry, but I was telling myself, this is a better route. Mm -hmm. And, but then had to cancel that and started working on my master's or continuing my master's at Fuller in theology instead, Um, which was pretty tough to, 
to walk away from that, but I'm but I'm glad I did. Hmm. And then after a year of doing school full time, I was like, I just miss pastoring people. I miss shepherding people. Miss being in a church, and applied for the high school associate position. Yes, I remember uh, chatting with you at the corner bookstore. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, for yeah. The first time I met you for an interview. Yeah, and it's like so interesting because you're always in these settings with people, and it's like. I don't know. I'm probably mean like four or five people for the same job, but it's like, right. I, right, could, be, right. I could end up being sort of like friends with you for a long time through this random person you're meeting because we're yeah. going to work together for a long time or I'm never going to see you again. You know, it's just Whoa. like, it's like interesting thing as you're, so, inter- so you wanted to form a very close bond right <laughs> yes. away, but so, you had to temper your expectations yes, and hold yes. yourself back. Yes, exactly. exactly. You didn't want to get your hopes up. <laughs> <laughs> that we'd be best friends. I mean, I voted for the other guy, but oh, <laughs> oh, <shit. laughs> just uh, no, no. But you, yeah, we are we are blessed to have you here, Christian, and uh, just excited for you to continue, you know, serving here and in this new role, and just as like I don't know, just as even the community, maybe the greater community of Calvary starts to get to know you a little bit more. Um, sometimes as you grow and develop into different roles, you just kind of like connect with some more people beyond your area of ministry and just as you are at a place longer, like even you just went on our recent Israel trip. And so you just start connecting with more people. Just, you become, which is cool. Kind of just becoming more a part of the community, not just doing a job in a specific area of high school. Right? Yeah. 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 That's been a great thing that's been growing and something I hope for more, especially, yeah, since our area of ministry happens separate to the, the broader bar- body a lot of the time. Yeah. I, I like that I've been able to make a couple inroads and yep. come say hi to me, yeah. listener. <laughs> I'd <laughs> love to meet you. Yes, yes. So yeah, we'll have to like get you doing like announcements or something a few times here and there so people can like see your face a little bit more, right? I've but, heard I have a face for radio. Oh, face for the pod. <laughs> that's why the podcast is actually, that's why the podcast is not video. They wanted to do it video, but then it um, it started to malfunction from the host. Uh, me, you know, just kind of, you know, camera breaking. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, just yeah, hideous, yeah. hideous ugliness. But no, <laughs> the expected don't answer we, is hard stri- disagreement. Just hard disagreement. You're supposed to be like, oh no, <laughs> oh, oh, you're so attractive. <laughs> you're being so well <laughs> yeah, trimmed there you go, all there the you time. Go. Yeah, we do live streaming. How often do you go to the barber? Uh, oh, wow. Okay, no, we're done with that. <laughs> all right, so we've gotten to know Christian a little bit. That's enough of you. Enough. Right. Yeah. It's been a lot of me. Yeah, exactly. Most but, people have just skipped to this point, I think. <laughs> yeah. Leave a little leave a little uh, note in the description. <laughs> I know. We haven't done we've talked about doing timestamps like in the description where you can because I like podcasts that do that where it's like you're talking about this at minute four. Yeah. And then you can just click on that or minute thirty seven goes to that. So yeah. anyway, but maybe maybe people can skip this Christian part and just get to the mailbag segment. The mailbag. Mailbag. <laughs> <laughs> that's such a good sound oh yes some people just massive cringing over that but you know what i right. want is for someone to mail in a painting of you and don smiling doing this podcast that's what i want some fan mail oh yes that'd be amazing we beg for emails so it's like if we could actually get a, a snail mail that would be maybe like, like a poorly photoshop picture or something at least <laughs> There you go. We should like, we need to actually publish some pictures of like this area, even though it's maybe a little more photogenic now that we've got, we got like a couple posters up and a sign and things like that. So it's nice. Yeah, it's pretty nice. But we want to do a mailbag segment. This is from your emails and uh, to you um, wonderful people that listen to this podcast. Um, So we have some that are kind of serious, some that are 
silly and that's got you know that's kind of the theme of this podcast i feel like is like some some nonsense and some serious stuff so um i have done zero other than reading these questions once ahead of time i've done that is the amount of prep i have done that's it i didn't do any i actually plan to do a little more prep on a couple of them but i did not do that so we're <laughs> <laughs> which fits on brand for pretty much what don and i do but we we always say we have like a we believe we have a life of preparation so we're preparing constantly by learning and growing and reading scriptures and all that kind of stuff. So let's start with an easier one though. This is kind of a interesting one from Jeremy asks, what's your morning routine? How can someone set up their life to begin each day successfully? Wow. I think you do this well, and I don't know if I deserve to speak to that question. Oh, okay. 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 I'll, I'll, I'll start this one. Okay. Cause does your, you're like the, are you Gen Z? No, I'm a millennial. You're a millennial? Yeah. <laughs> I'm not Gen Z. What's the break? Because you're like late 20s, right? Yeah, I'm 28. <laughs> 28. I think okay. Gen Z, what are you, like, is 21 Gen Z? All or? right. I don't know. I forget these things. Yeah, but you too. I don't wear wide leg pants. That's the that's the difference. I'm not willing to wear the wide leg pants either. Like, the super wide leg. I probably have, like, like boomer wide leg pants or, like, Gen X or wide leg pants. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, we went through a phase. My, my people, Gen X. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like no one talks about Gen X, actually. I want to hear about them. I want to hear about you guys. Yeah, Gen X, greatest. It's called the greatest generation. Some people say that's like the World War II people, but no, it's actually Gen X is the greatest generation. <laughs> You've had your battles. Not, yeah, <laughs> yeah, we've been through a lot. <laughs> we've been through a lot. Uh, no, but uh, yeah, grunge. You know, so think like Nirvana, Pearl oh, Jam. Yeah. Like this is at least the like white kid from Orange County version of Gen X, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that kind of stuff. Punk rock. Um, anyway. That's that's like my world of Gen X. So there's even movies like there's a movie called Singles, Reality Bites, a couple of movies that are like older movies that were around then that kind of like define the Gen X experience. Very moody, very ang- right. very angry, very judgy about yeah. everyone else. Yeah, it sounds like you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my Enneagram Eight just is like my generation, <laughs> uh, just challenging everything. But no, my morning know. routine. So I have, I know this guy, this friend of mine, that's a pastor named Joe Barkley. He went to Biola when I was there too. And he has this crazy like article he wrote all about his morning routine. I remember. And he has this like very specific amount of water he drinks and stuff. He thinks the first thing that you should do to start your day. I mean, it's like this pastor doesn't talk about prayer or whatever. It's like the first thing is drink like a gallon of water. Oh my God. You should drink like a ton of water. That's way too much. Maybe it's not a gallon. That's way too much. Maybe it's what's like a milk carton. That's a half gallon. Right, like a like oh, that's a, a gallon, like a big a big jug is no, not the big jug, the little the paper one. Oh, the carton. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, okay. So yeah, like yeah. maybe it's something like that. I actually okay. Details, details, details. De- I mean, no. <laughs> don't go drink a gallon of water in the morning and just have your stomach tear open. First thing you do is drink a gallon of milk as fast as you can. <laughs> yeah, isn't that the thing? It's impossible. The gallon challenge. You'll I've tried. Die. Yeah, it doesn't end well. It doesn't, it doesn't end well. Uh, but no, but I don't. So I don't do that. But yeah, I am very into the make sure I say the Lord's prayer first thing when I wake up. Try to spend some time in the scriptures, like, but not right away. I actually get up, have my coffee, relax, a little bit of scriptures. Mm. Then, then at that point, and then, um, and then it's time for exercise. So, like, always, always exercise first. You know, like when it comes to, like, I guess second, always exercise second yeah. after some. Um, maybe I'm sorry. Maybe it's third because it's like prayer, little coffee, food of some sort, and then into the into the hard work food then exercise 
Yeah, I actually have to eat first. I get too weak. I know uh, some people that doesn't that doesn't work for them. Yeah, I, I don't a lot of people doesn't work. Weak, but <laughs> <laughs> but the kind of stuff I'm doing is like endurance based. It's not just going. If I was just like mm, going yeah. to the gym and like lifting some weights or something, it might be different because it's just a different sort of workout. Yeah, you don't need to keep yourself going. Yeah, yeah. With extra energy. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know if you have. Like, oh, yeah, that's where I was going to make fun of you about the Gen Z thing. So, like, millennial. Oh, yeah, yeah the millennials kind of very sleep-in generation or what, you know? I mean, I have late nights at <laughs> youth events, okay? So, we're getting a comparable amount of sleep. Yeah. I I mean, I'm not an early bird. Okay. But I, I mean, yeah. I, try, I don't eat well in the morning. That's honest. That's just something I've been working on the past few months is just yeah. eat a meal. And that takes, I just want to start doing things and I get on with my day. Yeah. Um, and trying to start with prayer and scripture and the battle with Instagram is real. I just delete it most of the time, but then like when mm. I have it, then it's just right. That that's been the habit that I've been trying to break. And so I think of that is like start. treat yourself. Like I think of like, I get to do the Instagram if I do the other stuff first. That's good. I think of it like that. You know, it's like an earned reward almost, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And I don't mean to like be like, oh, get through the Bible sucks so bad, you right, know? Right, but right. then you get to do the fun stuff. But it's a still a little bit. It's 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 like a, it's junk food. It's, it's a, dessert, right? Yeah. yeah. Like, this is not going to sustain you. It's actually <laughs> yeah. not what your body needs in the morning. Right. But it's so sweet and tasty, yeah. though. And then afterwards, you're like, Bleh. right. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I don't, I don't frequently exercise in the morning i was on the rowing team for a year in college and i was like you're 5 a.m you are yes out on the water and you're just killing your body and that was it's easier when i'm on a team or something i can get up and do that but but i and i used to I think like put a lot more pressure on myself to to operate that way but i'm like if i'm a slow riser then i'm going to be a slow riser okay and yeah, hey, with Jesus a bit, keep it chill, and then try to do exercise stuff later in the day. Um, but yeah, I really do feel like your day is different if you started with the Lord or not. Yeah, absolutely. I think that is the key way to start your day successfully. It's like sounds cliche from us pastors, but like it's really true. And I think mm -hmm. it just even if it's very, 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 very short, I think that's what I want people to understand. Like it's, I think it's actually genuinely okay for it to be very, very, very short. So like a lot, even through the pandemic, I was talking a lot about like. All I would do was like a, the Lord's prayer and a psalm, one psalm, boom, that's it. But it's just mm -hmm. saying like, God, I'm going with you first. I'm going to go with like talking to you, your words, you know, and then hearing from you, your words. Like it's all, it was all his words, Lord's prayer and, and the psalm. It's oh, all, yeah. it's all like from him, but I'm just kind of centering myself, starting my day with that. And it's like, it, like, yes, there's a place for long Bible reading and study, but like that doesn't have to be all the time, I think. Mm -hmm. I, I think the Rick Warren thing, like I've, I've said it before, I don't know if you like, if you, this has been something that stuck with you at all or not, but it's this divert daily, withdraw weekly, abandon annually. Mm -hmm. It's like, I think it's super good. It's really helped me. It's like, that's a Rick Warren thing, but I think that's so good. Just like, like divert daily, like a quick something daily, divert daily towards the Lord, like, and then withdraw weekly. So weekly have something a little bit longer. And then annually, you should have like a couple, I think like a day or a couple day, like retreat away. I think everybody should put this into their life, like mm -hmm. some sort of solitude time, like extended solitude of abandon. So divert daily, withdraw weekly, abandon annually. And I think if you think about that, it's a little less, um, 
daunting or constant daily failure. I think that's like the mm. problem with thinking, you know, for people when they think about like doing their quiet time or their devotionals or whatever. Yeah. And it's just like, it's this constant failure because you'll miss three a week or four a week or whatever. And then you just feel like you suck. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I know for me with the way I'm wired with like achievement and responsibility and you know all that kind of stuff, it like made me sometimes like my sort of daily quiet time thing, it would, it started to like rob my joy. Hmm. Right. And so just trying to think of it like differently as a, as a good, just as something that's going to be a good spark. But yeah. Um, all right, let's do another question. Let's do another question. Yep. All right. What is, this is from Susan. She asks, what is your favorite book, both a quote unquote Christian book and a novel? So I think with it, like, so some sort of, you know, so whatever, whatever would a Christian book would be. But. My, I thought about these two because uh-huh. it was the most important question on there. Mm. This is a Christian book. My dad read it to me as a kid. It's You Are Special by Max Lucado. Do you know this book? Oh, wow. You're special, huh? Interesting. <laughs> Would have expected a different answer for this one. You're not Christian special, book. or <laughs> hmm. just you know something, something, something heavy. He's more like God joy. Oh, oh, oh! Yeah, that was so far from my radar. Uh, uh, wow! Just kidding. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, it's just where, a book about where's that hierarchical respect thing from? You know, from China that you learned. Um, I'm still, I'm just really trying to work through that book. So slowly and intentionally and I I can't say it's my favorite book if I haven't quite finished Uh it yet. Yeah. Staff book reports are due tomorrow. (laughs) All right. Sorry. You're special. Max Licato. Yeah. Go ahead. It's about these little wooden people in a village. They give each other stars if they like what they've done. Gray dots if they don't like them or what they've done. And this one Wemmick is what they're called. These wooden people. Has is just covered in gray dots. Does have a single star? Feels terrible about himself, and meets a woman who doesn't have any stickers on her. One day, and asks what the secret is. And the secret is that every day she goes up the hill to where the carpenter lives and spends time with Eli. And he goes up the hill and meets Eli and um, gets to know him. And as he leaves, some of these gray dots start falling off of him. But uh. it's it's just so, I mean, my dad said he'd read this to us when we were kids, and then he, he would just be tearing up. But it's just, it's honestly something that continues to remind me to go back to spend time with the Lord. That mm-hmm. I think we're, we're so afraid of what he thinks of us because of maybe what other people think of us, yeah. that we're intimidated to go up the hill and spend time with him. But what he thinks of us is all that really matters. I think the line is, what is it? You are special because I made you and I don't make mistakes. I think that's kind of like the core mm. line of the whole thing. But wow. yeah, it's really shaped my God, my, my vision of God. Wow. I'd, and it's, you know, it's a quick read. There's pictures. Yeah. That helps. Wow. I feel like, I feel sad. I didn't read that to my kids now, man. That sounds awesome. I don't know. You about still that, can. You yeah. still can. Yeah. My 19 year old sit down yeah. child. But isn't it crazy? It's like that, that book <laughs> yes. still, I still go back to those, those images and the, the thoughts that that elicits. And mm. I, and that encourages me to spend time with God. Yeah, and to care good. more about what he thinks and what other people think. That's good advice. Okay, that's it's good. It's just in a little children's book. Okay, I like that. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. Do you should I do should I do a Christian book and then we'll do novels? Yeah, let's do that. Okay. Let's do that. Uh, let's see. So, 
This one's like super hard for me, but I feel like I constantly go back to this book called Cost of Discipleship by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, mm. which is pretty dense. It's like pretty thick and dense, but I read it in college and it's always sort of helped shape and form a lot of what I think about how our followership, like our, our sense of being a disciple or being a follower of Jesus, right, is there is a cost to it. And he talks like a lot about cheap grace and costly grace and mm -hmm. how... And how it, our, our grace is free for us, but it cost him much. But we cheapen it when we act like it didn't cost anybody anything. You know, we make grace cheap. Mm -hmm. And I feel like it kind of like, I don't know, whatever whatever that did like help me have a sense of like, okay, wow, this is free. And I'm not earning. I can't earn anything, but I can have a sense of the, the depth of what was paid for. You know, I feel like it like it opened up my heart to like an awe of what, what Jesus has done for us. So for what, sometimes it's like when you read a book, you know, the stage yeah. of life you're in, like where you're at. But um, for me, it was, that book was really, really meaningful. Um, so the cost of discipleship by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, it's not the lightest of reads, but it's probably, yeah, it's the opposite of maybe the, but you get the children's book and you can get cost of discipleship, you know, and get a couple of <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> they can offset each other. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Hmm. I am curious because it sounds like you read that book and it changed how you felt about Jesus' sacrifice. Yeah. And it increased the cost or the weight of it. And that it changed the way you felt. And that made you want to not take that sacrifice lightly. Yeah. Because there's this interesting relationship between what we are supposed to do following yeah. God and yeah, exactly. what we cannot earn. So there's so much grace. And yet we are called to live in a way and what, and I guess the question is what motivates that choice? Is there just pure discipline? Right. And is this interesting that part of you reading that book, it just changed how you felt about his sacrifice and that mm -hmm. might've motivated you to yep. change the way you live. And not from guilt. It wasn't a guilt thing or a, you better do this kind of thing. It was more of being moved, you know, being so moved that I desire to, to act right or desire mm, yeah. to even take on the cost because it gets into some of those verses like foxes have holes birds holes birds of the air have nests but the son of man has no place to lay his head like mm -hmm. you're gonna just like you know you've just, you don't even get to say goodbye to father and mother or bury your own you know father or something like like it's just yeah. some intense passages in the gospels there i think it's in luke I, I think it's luke nine i can't totally remember right now but like where it kind of gets into some of these like high cost things for us as a disciple but like we, but I think it somehow shifted my, cause those things like only came across as like guilt inducing passages of scripture mm -hmm. for me. But there was just something about the way that Bonhoeffer wrote that book that got me to a place of being so um, moved by what Christ has done that I would want to do that, you know, mm -hmm. for, for him. So anyway, it's kind of cool. Um, how about, so how about like a, a novel of some sort? Maybe it doesn't have to be, you know, we're not saying some scandalous book, but just we're just saying it doesn't have to be the the next Max Licato book or whatever, <laughs> or, or Piercing the Darkness. Or <laughs> so the other book that came to mind. It's not. I mean, it is kind of a Christian book, but it's Thirst okay. by what's his name? He's the founder of Charity Water. Oh Scott yeah, something? yes, yeah, 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 yeah. Thirst. I mean, it's the story of his life, and he was this raised Christian, but then moved to New York, and he was this club promoter and did a lot of club related things for years and then just felt empty and 
then came to know Jesus while he would chose while he was a uh, he was on mercy ships as their photographer and they're going around Africa and they're this floating hospital treating people and throughout his time there and they're a Christian organization he's starting to know God a little bit more and more and learns that the cause of so many of the health problems these people are facing is how dirty the water is, particularly the parasites in the water. Yeah. And he comes back and he starts leveraging all these amazing skills that he had in this mm. club promoting world into mm-hmm. running this nonprofit, particularly that focuses on focuses on the joy and the fun of giving. And mm. they built wells for people all over the world. But I think I read this whole book in a day because I was so drawn in by his mm-hmm. story. And it's just, so it is, it's, he is a Christian, but the book is right. about his life. Scott Harrison. I Scott Harrison. Oh, yeah. yeah, there you go. Yeah. And it's just such an amazing story. And even the redemption in, in his life that God could take these things and even skills he learned club promoting and then yeah. use them to be saving lives around the world. And I, yeah, highly mm. recommend. That's cool. Yeah. I, I actually remember I read the first few chapters of that in the bookstore. You how, know, how'd you stop? Because uh, <laughs> I had to go. I don't know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know. I don't know. But yeah, I just remember just sitting in the bookstore. So B and I, it's like we're we're pretty um, we're pretty wild, you know. Like club <laughs> club promoters are some of our oh yeah 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 greatest friends. So yeah, we do a lot of clubbing. Uh, but our clubbing is mostly at Barnes and Noble. Mm. <laughs> but yeah, we do like date nights. We do go to Barnes and Noble a lot. We're kind of nerds. That's so fun. we'll go out to dinner and then just go hang out at Barnes and Noble. And like sometimes I'll just like read travel books or. Just read like the beginnings of something, you know, or a cookbook, even like something where it's not like it's hard to like, even just sit there for an hour and read a novel. You know, it's kind of weird. Right, right, right. <laughs> we just kind of pick up a few. Yeah, pick up a few other. Skim them here and there. Yeah. So I remember I was like intrigued by that and I just sat there and read the first few chapters, but it's like really interesting life. Yeah, it's a cool book. Um, okay, so my my favorite, I think my favorite novel, this is a side because people, people that are uh, regular listeners know that I get a little bit made fun of for my sci-fi fantasy ner- oh, yeah. nerd, nerd dumb. So like Lord of the Rings is probably like in my view, like the best ever. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm going to go outside of fantasy. Okay. Wow. So I know, I know, I know. So there's a, it's, it's like <laughs> a, a, not actually your favorite, but one that yeah, might be more yeah, unique. I feel like, you know, yeah, if Unexpected. people want to read great fantasy, read, yeah, read Lord of the Rings, read Elantris. Um, that's yeah, another good. Yeah, really good books. Um, some of those. But my favorite, I think my favorite author oof, is probably John Steinbeck. Um, oh. And so this book, East of Eden by Steinbeck, is, it's actually a real, it's a brutal story, but it's a story that's just like incredible just incredible story of like some, like a family that goes through a lot of pain and comes out of it and goes back into it and out of it. And there's a real like evil person character in this, but hmm. it has some, some, it has some allegory to Christian life while not being a Christian book. I mean, East of Eden that we are now, right. we are no longer in Eden. We are now East of Eden. Um, so we're outside of that perfection and that's when, and, and so sin has come in and corrupted and there's a lot of corruption, but it's like, but it's just like a fascinating story of humanity and it's really cool. So I highly recommend that book by John Steinbeck. So I'm into, I'm into some of the classics too. So I really like Hemingway as well, even though he, they're kind of tragic people though. I don't know why, <laughs> what my deal is with tragic books. Hemingway is a sad, sad character Sometimes as well. Sometimes you just want <clears throat> for the, for the sadness or nostalgia in you to get, to get yep. nursed a little bit. That's right. To, to be felt. 
by someone else. That's right. That's right. All right. Let's do we let's just do a couple more of these questions. We actually have a few questions. This one's funny. It's like <laughs> Keely asks, I want to know this is a little bit of older email. It says, I want to know if Natalie ever edits and deletes something out. If so, is there a good blooper reel? <laughs> <laughs> and now Jordan Cranda is the new producer. Uh it is no longer Natalie Comstock. Congratulations. Yeah. Yeah, Jordan. yeah, Jordan's been producing the last, like, eh, I don't know, like four episodes or something like that. And, um, yeah, but he's doing a great job. And um, so uh, I don't think that there's a blooper reel. There's more talk about stuff being deleted than actually stuff being deleted. We'll talk about something that should be deleted, and then it just gets left in. <laughs> <laughs> I think we should have been recording from the moment I sat down because we have plenty of <laughs> Yeah, yeah, Ridiculous exactly. blueberry things yes. that we were running through. Yes, exactly. Okay, I'm trying to think if we should do this, like, serious one. All right, yeah, let's do this one. This is the most recent question. It's kind of serious. It's from James. He asks, after the last two Sundays, I've been processing this idea of joy and suffering. I've always thought that I need to be joyful during the suffering. What if it's more like being open to joy in other areas while you're experiencing suffering? If you look at Jesus in the garden, Garden of Gethsemane, I don't mm. see joy. I see suffering. But since he knew what was coming, he could find joy in that, um, not necessarily in the physical pain. It's a deep question. Mm. Man. So, Christian, what do you think of uh, <laughs> that one with the joy? <laughs> it is interesting. It's a, yeah, for the joy set before him endured the cross. Yes, yes. It is. A, that's kind of a mind-blowing verse, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, the joy set before him. And I think, I think maybe even with that, sorry, I'm just like butting in, but like, I think with that is kind of what James is, is saying that the joy set before him was the outcome. It wasn't the experience, right? Like knowing that there's, there's something on the other side. And I think that's even, as I've tried to relate this to like physical suffering through like an exercise environment or whatever, like triathlon stuff, mm -hmm. it's like, yeah, it's not like, Ooh, I love, you know, I love mile 22 of a marathon. Like, that's awesome. That where it really just hurts super bad and you have to keep going and it's all mental and you just have to put one leg in front of the other while you're just can barely breathe and just would rather lay down than do anything on earth. Like that feeling in that mm -hmm. moment. We've, we've all been there. Yeah. 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 <laughs> that's not like, Ooh, yay. The joy of that. But there is this joy of like this, like achieving the, the finish line, the prize at the end. There's, there is some of that. Um, so I, that's just like what joy or what James talks about with seeing that he knew it was coming. He could find joy. Would but. you say you feel joy at that moment in the marathon or that, you know, you will feel joy, right? Or, oh, I know that's hard. <sighs> so that goes back to a, an understanding of what, what is joy? Yeah. And Matt and I had this big conversation last week, actually just trying to like, mm -hmm. cause it's, you know, like, cause I actually might feel joy in that moment of the marathon with a proper understanding of what joy is because joy is deep. Joy is deep, deep down, down in my heart, right? <laughs> I got the joy, joy. <laughs> exactly. But I've said the song is profound. Like it's, it's deep, deep down because it really, it really is. Whereas this, this happiness thing or, or pleasure, like mm. there's happiness, it's maybe a little higher up. And then pleasure is like extremely surface level, right? Just, because it's not pleasurable to be in that moment of the the race. Yeah. But I think it actually is joyful as you're, because you're still moving. I think if you, 
like we're I don't know. I'm trying to think this out, but like if I, you just crashed and you know or whatever, and you're out of the race, then it's probably it doesn't feel like joyful at that po- moment. But right. I think joy can come, you know, there. But um, anyway, I think these metaphors are going to break. Sorrow down may a last bit. for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I like the I like the idea of being open to joy, though, because there, there's something in the question of. Sometimes we feel like we're forced to feel a certain way or we're yes. supposed to feel a certain way. Yes. Even when we're going through terrible loss, suffering, whatever it is, and that we are expected to smile, we're expected to clap and sing. Right. And it's wrong to just be weeping. Mm-hmm. And that's not the example right. Jesus gives. So... The, the phrase of being open to joy I th- sounds like it's relinquishing the, the desire to force you to feel a certain way, mm-hmm. which then maybe ironically or miraculously makes it more possible mm-hmm. to then to then feel it. Yep. Yeah, it's interesting because like <clears throat> I remember after I crashed my bike, I was like super mad. You know, I was like super mad and kind of depressed about it. Mm-hmm. And I almost didn't want to feel joy about it like I was remember I was like really upset and I didn't want to like I didn't want to have a lesson about it like I was like I don't want a lesson here like I just Mm want to be upset like I'm this sucks like that kind of feeling you know but I knew it was almost like I knew deep deep down that there would be a lesson and that it would it is gonna like end up for good like I know that Mm -hmm. but even in the midst of that moment I'm just kind of like I'm just sort of I'm just sad I'm bummed out and or I'm angry and I know that might be even kind of what even James is referring to of just, I, I thought it had to be joyful during the suffering. Like, cause I guess that for me was like during it in those, like that week of just being like laying laid up in bed and can't move and you know, that, that sort of moment. Um, and this is, even this is like a lighter example than someone being abused or someone dying or whatever. Like, right, you know, right, this right. is still like a lighter example, but, but at the same time, it was like, I feel like I had this sense deep down. And I think that's kind of what we all have with like this eternal perspective thing that's deep down. And we don't, sometimes we don't want to have the eternal perspective. We're like, no, this person mm-hmm. that I love maybe died, right? But like, we might know that eternally, I'm going to spend something greater than 999 trillion years of bliss with, let's mm-hmm, say, mm-hmm, <laughs> you know? Um, and so, yeah, I won't be with them for the next 20 years, but yeah, I miss them now. I miss them now deeply. But like, I also have this eternal perspective thing deep, deep down. And I might even fight it like emotionally. I might fight that because mm-hmm. I'm like, no, you know, I don't want to have that perspective. Like I just, I'm sad. This stinks. And it's cause it does. Right. It really does. Um, So I'm always cautious. I keep saying this, like, I don't want to use eternal perspective as a weapon. Like, I don't want it to feel like it's, it's weaponized against people to like get them to not feel something. Cause that's, I'm not saying that I'm saying it's, it's okay to feel the sadness and the don't cry, don't grieve parts of Nehemiah eight aren't about that. They're Mm -hmm. not about that kind of suffering. They're about guilt and shame. Mm -hmm. So they're saying, don't cry about guilt and shame celebrate because you actually don't have guilt and shame. You have grace and forgiveness that's given by God. Right. So that's why the priests are trying to turn them around. Um, yeah. cause that, that guilt has led them to forgiveness. So anyway, like I, it's interesting. It's hard. I, I, 
I don't know if we're ever going to get like the perfect analogy, but I don't know if you have something else that you're. Well, I just think about the Psalms and how some Psalms begin in a place of anguish and then turn to some type of hope and even some type of joy. Mm-hmm. But some Psalms remain in that state of this is terrible. Yeah. And I just appreciate that there's a wealth of experiences and emotions that are put towards yeah. in the Psalms. And even, even that Jesus will weep with someone he knows he's about to raise from the dead or weeps with yeah. Lazarus sister when he knows he'll raise him from the yeah. dead. You know, yeah. it's, it doesn't show a lack of faith. You just have this, right. This abundance of love for a person that you're missing or you yeah. just are tired of being in pain. And that's, and that's hard. That's an interesting example, actually, with perspective, because his perspective knows that, like, the next day or that day or something, he's going to he's going to bring Lazarus back to life. Like mm-hmm. he has that perspective that knows it's going to be over soon, but he still sits in the sadness. Mm-hmm. Right. So he could be like, oh, no worries. I'm going to raise him from the dead. You know, like, yeah, pull yourself together. Yeah, it's fine. I'm here. <laughs> it's fine. I'm here. Or like. Like we would, it's fine. We're going to go to heaven one day. Kind of like that kind of right, perspective. Right. You'll see him again. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and that's like, so that's interesting how Jesus does not do that in that moment is an interesting lesson. And like what's, um, what I want to keep telling people about this joy that I'm talking about with, with this book, it's very deliberate of why it's called God joy. It's mm-hmm. not our joy that we drum up. It's a God given thing. The joy of God, the joy of the Lord is your strength. So it's not even your feeling of joy. It's the feeling it's God's joy given to you that should strengthen you in some way. So how, however that happens through prayer, through the Holy spirit, right? Like through people, as we have the presence of God around us and one another, then our, our joy is built up. It's the joy of the Lord that gets built up from, from those different things. Mm -hmm. So that's what I want to make sure we're careful of when we talk about joy. It's not like, smile, you're going to be fine. You know, it's yeah. no, yep. it sucks. And like the people around you that have the spirit of God dwelling within them are going to be ministering to you. God himself through his spirit is going to be ministering to you. Like, you know, your prayer life, your processing, whatever, all that time. So anyway, all right. I think we nailed that one. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Kurt asks, why are the A's the worst baseball team of all time? Now, I thought this one might have just only been for Doan's benefit because the A's are his favorite team. Oh, yeah. But you are from the Bay Area. So it's maybe true. are you an A's fan? No. OK. Are you a Giants fan? A little more than the A's, but moderately. I mean, I like the Blue Jays. I don't. Oh, whoa, I don't even whoa, whoa. I don't follow baseball that closely. Expos. Yeah. The, the Montreal <laughs> Expos. Uh, I. They're bad, eh? I don't know. <laughs> hey, there it goes. Yes. No. Yeah. No, I don't know. They just, that was just fun to say. Nobody actually asked that question. I typed that in. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why, that's why Doan wasn't here today. He didn't want to be on the other end of that. All right. I think we should stop. We are at an hour and 10, man. We have been going strong. So wow. I know. So we got some other good questions that we'll, we'll cover in future times, but thank you for sending in your questions, people. So you can do that at podcast or just podcast at calvarylife.org podcast at calvarylife.org via email. Uh, you can text me if you have my phone number, I'm not going to say it. Uh, you can, uh, five, five, five. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Movie phone number. Uh, or if, uh, on any of our Calvary social media posts, um, Calvary life, if you want to ask questions on there, you can. 
So any last words from you, Christian? Are you good, man? Thanks for sharing with us. Thanks for having me. Yes. And please come talk to me. If you're hearing my voice right now, it's <laughs> right. a sign. That's right. Look up Christian on the website if you don't know who he is. Um, do, you, do you do like uh, public social media or not really? I've posted four pictures on Instagram <laughs> since I've had the app. <laughs> And okay, I, and I'm on private. I think. So. Okay, there we go. So we don't need to we don't need to promote any of that. That's follow, fine. Follow uh, Calvary HS for oh, yeah. our high school social media. Yeah, there you go. You might see a picture of you here and there. So yeah, at Calvary HS to see our high school ministry. That would be awesome. So all right, thanks, Christian. Thanks for joining us. It's been a blast. And thank you for listening to the Calvary Life Podcast. Thanks again for listening to the Calvary Life Podcast. If you'd like to share any of your thoughts, please reach out to us at podcast at calvarylife.org. You can find out more about the show on Instagram at Calvary Life or on our website at calvarylife.org slash podcast.